It's a fact. Life can be hard. And dealing with its challenges is no mean feat. The ability to recover quickly in the face of adversity is known as resilience and can be our best ally during times of stress. Welcome to The Resilient Road. In this series, we look at human stories of perseverance, exploring what makes someone resilient and what we can all do to help nurture this process in our own lives. You're joined today by me, Sinead, my colleague, Brian. Hello. And my other colleague, Elle. Hi. We're part of Positive Group, a team who uses psychology and neuroscience to help people make positive changes to improve their health and well-being. In this episode, we meet activist Harnam Kur. I define resilience by going against the norms that are set in society, the opinions that people have of you, holding your own and living life authentically to you, even if it means, you know, upsetting people who have a different idea of how you should be living your life. Resilience to me means absolutely owning your life and saying, this is me. I'm going to boss it. I'm going to live how I want to. I'm going to liberate myself to be authentically me and I'm going to live in my truth. We live in a society where there is a lot of expectation around appearance for both men and women. In Harnam's story, we're interested in exploring the question, how do you find acceptance in the face of social exclusion? In today's episode, we are going to be hearing from Harnam, who tells us her experiences of going through adolescence and into adulthood with facial hair. Now, Elle, why is looking different, particularly difficult to navigate in adolescence? So from a sort of brain perspective, it's a really critical time, adolescence. But we know that um, emotionally, it's a really vulnerable time. And I think that everyone is very image conscious in adolescence. It's linked to our self-esteem. It's linked to our mental health. We care about what others think of us. You know, I think we can all remember that time when we felt that way. It's a period of enormous change. So I think if you've got something about you which really differentiates yourself, that's going to put you under a lot more stress and require you to be more resilient than perhaps a lot of people need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that must be really, really tough. Absolutely. Anything to add, Brian? That's perfect. I think just to highlight that it's a period of intense vulnerability mm-hmm. um, because you are so self-aware and so concerned about how you're seen, particularly by your peers. And I think what's hardwired into us is, is to conform with the group and groups have different rules. What happens is you're getting cultured into the group you're in. You're getting cultured in families, you're getting cultured in communities, you're getting cultured in religion. All groups create social norms. And if you conform to the group's uh, rules, which tell you how you ought, should, must behave uh, or be, um, then you're okay. You're included in the group. But if you break the rules, you upset the orthodoxy, you upset the dogma and the people who are within that group who want you to behave just like them. We're actually designed to be biased against the out-group. And it's a very ugly part of, of human nature. That's a sort of default process. And I think what we have to bring into our educational system is helping people understand how their brain can do that. And then this this is going to create exclusion, bullying, persecution, and the sort of things that we see across the globe. Now, that's just part of the way we're made. But we can change that. I think we can honestly influence that dynamic. 
And I think regardless of if you feel different or not, it's really tricky to navigate in adolescence yeah. that social group and to find the group that is a bit like me. But then if you're feeling a lack of confidence or you're feeling that there's something different about you, then what does that do for your capacity to develop that social network in the first place? My name is Harnam Kaur. I am a motivational speaker, social influencer and activist. Sundari is my beautiful beard. Now, I have a very great relationship with my body and I feel like my body has heard such horrendous things about itself and especially my beard. I just decided, you know what, you've already had to deal with, this is me talking to my beard, by the way, like you've actually had to deal with a lot of horrid labels. You know, if I can't own you, no one else is going to. If I can't love you, no one else is going to. So I decided to name her Sundari and Sundari basically means, you know, beauty or beautiful. It's one thing about me that people try to mock the most. So you know, it's me basically saying, well, hey, bitches, I'm going to own it. I'm going to absolutely embrace it. And her name is Sundari. Deal with it. When I was in year six, it was the boys in my class that shouted out, you know, that I have a beard. And that's when I went home, looked in the mirror and actually realised I was actually growing facial hair. And it was after having various blood tests, ultrasound scans done, that the doctor, my doctor, actually diagnosed me with polycystic ovaries. Couldn't say the word. What the hell is it? Thought I was dying of a rare disease. What a great thing for a child to think. And it was actually until I went to the nurse in my school who then gave me, like, leaflets about, you know, this is what PCOS is... Then I understood, well, first of all, you're not dying. It's just, you know, the mechanics of your body is different from the mechanics of someone else's body. Polycystic ovary syndrome, or PCOS, is a condition that affects one in five people with ovaries, trans men as well. And it's a condition that, you know, it's, it's hard for the ovaries to ovulate. And then because we're not ovulating, there's like a buildup of eggs that are sitting in follicles in the ovaries. So obviously, if you're not ovulating, you're not having your periods, it can be hard to get pregnant. Um, excess of androgens in your body, which causes, you know, like bodily hair and facial hair, which is obviously very prominent on me. Um, weight gain, weight loss, cardiovascular issues, diabetes. There's so much that can happen and different people that have this condition you know, have different side effects. It just depends on your body and how well your body's dealing with it. But for me, like dealing with PCOS wasn't really my priority. Like I wanted to stop the bullying. That was my priority. I was always a large kid and, you know, now I had, you know, facial hair to deal with and then I was bullied for being fat and I was in a lot of bodily pain. I was going through puberty, you know, and... I didn't realise that going through puberty was going to be so harsh on my body. I was in hospital all the time. My periods were horrendous. And it was very difficult for me to sort of deal with that. And then the bullying on top. And then also trying to, you know, grasp hold of the way that I look as well. Sundari. 
School for me was doomsday because the bullies from my primary school then entered my secondary school and when my body matured, the bullying matured, the bullies came up with new things to say to me and every day from 8.45 in the morning to 3.15 in the PM, Monday to Friday from the start of an academic year to an end of an academic year, it was hell on earth for me and I was bullied a lot and... Yeah, I started growing more facial hair. Not just that, like arm hair, leg hair. And yeah, it was mad because something so natural to me was being mocked by people and other kids, which made me want to sort of alter my body. I was very shy. I was very unconfident. And obviously, like, being bullied and having to deal with people just absolutely mocking you every single day like you're gonna quiet in yourself you're gonna try and take up as less space as possible you're going to dim yourself that you're not heard that you're not seen because being heard means oh I'm present which means I'm able to get mocked I would say the bullying absolutely trashed my self-worth my self-esteem and because I hated my body so much, I started to sort of delve into like, this very deep depression and I started self-harming as well to punish my body for looking the way that it did. The easiest thing for someone that's being oppressed to do is conform and think that once I conform to what people want of me, it's going to sort of make my life flourish or, you know that life will be a lot better, I'll be a lot happier. But for me, I just thought, well, do you know what? You're you're being bullied for your facial hair. Why don't you just try removing it and see how you feel and maybe the bullying will stop. So obviously I went to like this beauty parlour, got my face waxed, which was, you know, such a horrendous ordeal and having to go through that like every week, twice a week. Um, ripped my skin, burnt my skin. I had scabs which then turned into blemishes and I was very young so having to deal with that sort of every week, I hated it. Obviously when I went back into school with a clean face with like no hair, I would be taunted like, oh she definitely is a man because she's shaving now. So it's like, okay so I can't live happily because you're bullying me for having the facial hair and now I can't even be myself by removing it because you're still bullying me, so what do I do? I spiralled into my depression and then I was very, very suicidal. I just thought there's no way that I can live in this earth looking so different. And people literally do not want me to, to live. I feel like I don't have a place in this world. My brother had his own hard time having a sister with facial hair. Like, he's... I don't really speak about what he went through having a sister that looks like me because he's gone through his own trauma and for me it was trying to protect myself but then my brother always you know trying to support me as much as he can he's four and a half years younger than me so you can imagine when I was 16 and I'm growing my beard out my brother's only like 12 like he's so young like what's he supposed to do like his sister's now looking like his dad like <laughs> what's he supposed to do sort of thing you know so he went through his own crap in school and I owe him the world because as a brother he did not deserve to be put through the shit that he was put through 
Growing up as a young girl, I was always sort of open to religion. My dad used to teach me a lot about my history, etc. But I started delving deeper into it when I started learning how to sing the hymns and play the hymns on the harmonium. And I used to go to these classes in the Gurdwara when I was like 14. And it was only until I hit 16, I thought I actually feel like I'm ready to get baptized. You know, when you're when you're so lost, you're trying to find anything to sort of grab onto. Anything that's around you, anything that you can do, you're trying to grab on, you're trying to find some sort of a sense of belonging. Like, I want to find my place on this earth. I want to belong to something that I see value in and I want to sort of, you know, embrace it. So I delved deeper into religion and, yeah, I started living my life as a baptised young Sikh girl. I decided that it was right for me to grow my beard out because one of the sort of code of conducts as a baptized person is that you have to keep your body's natural. So I decided, well, you know, you're growing a beard, so you're going to have to actually embrace, accept and just let your beard grow out. And that's exactly what I did. Obviously, going into, um, you know, many events Uh, religious events there were many people that had conflicting sort of ideas of what a woman should or should not look like and I was presented with many different opinions um, mostly by men about how I as a woman need to look like a woman and not be fake and take on their rup or appearance Um, and I was also told by many people that I wouldn't get married and that I would have a very troubling life living in this world as a bearded lady and that no one would actually accept me it's just like, why can't I as a woman just follow my ambitions and say that this is enough for me? Like, why do I have to be marriable or look a type of way to be marriable? If you look at the the foundations of Sikhism, it's it's love, it's compassion. And I didn't find that from a lot of people. And... I I didn't like where my life was going. I didn't like the person that I was becoming. I wanted to be free, so I left religion. I was about 21 years old. I was actually engaged to a very religious person. And this person put me through the most horrendous abuse. And I'm dealing with this as a young 21-year-old that has no self-esteem, no self-worth. I went back to my religious community and I said, look, like this is what I'm dealing with. This is a guy that I'm supposed to spend my life with. And they said to me, deal with it, your husband is your God. After going through so much turmoil and depression and low self-esteem and low self-worth, at the age of 21, I decided to not get married to him. I was put through so much trauma by the religious community. They loved me when I was religious, when I abided by what they thought and what their opinions were. But as soon as I came out into the media, as soon as I said, you know what, I'm going to start educating people and I'm going to live life happily how I want to. The amount of death threats I got because now I was a woman with a turban, with a beard, who, you know, looks like a Sikh. I came out of religion, I became more spiritual, I keep my turban because my turban's my crown. Ain't no one going to take that away from me. You can try, no one's going to take it. 
And that's actually when my turning point began. I started to sort of be kinder to myself. I started to pick myself up. I realized that, you know, I need to be happy for me. And I had to rebuild myself up again and my self-worth and self-confidence. What an amazing story so far. I just think it's extraordinary that, you know, when you hear her talking, how she has managed to remain resilient. She's shown remarkable strength to get to where she has. For me, one of the key things that pops out about Harnam is her energy and her attitude. There's something about her that is very likable. But one of the kind of key things and key themes across her whole story really is bullying and bullying based on physical appearance from a very young age. I mean, we know bullying is is really damaging for children and adolescents. This is persistent, severe, sort of chronic bullying um, that she's exposed to. It's interesting to think about the strategies and the journey that she's been on to get to where she is now. And she probably has quite a sophisticated way of dealing with this now because it is continuous and enduring. So I think it's really interesting to think about... Um, what these people are doing to her in terms of her sense of self and her sense of resilience. I kind of get the sense that they're almost pushing her towards having to just develop this really robust sense of resilience. And this is this really robust sense of, do you know what? I don't care about what you have to think because what I think is the important thing. It seems kind of quite profound, the levels of resilience that she has. I, I agree with both of you. I think it's difficult to imagine what it must have been like. Mm. And I think on, on, on a personal level, you know, we all know what it's, it's like to feel included. Um, and we also know what it's like to feel excluded. And most of us have experienced that during our, you know, our developmental years and, and still might as, as, as adults. The biggest reason youngsters feel distress, by far and away, the biggest reason is exclusion. Mm -hmm. And the biggest reason they feel a sense of happiness and joy is connection and inclusion. And I think one of the interesting things about this for, for adolescents is, you know, adolescents are particularly concerned about how their peers see them much more than, than teachers or parents. What happens then is that you can start to develop a belief, and this is what some cognitive psychologists would call a core belief. Mm -hmm. So you, you formulate a view that I'm weird, I'm different, I don't fit in. And if you formulate that belief and it's attached to quite a high level of emotion, emotion then encodes that and then you develop what is a belief that you then take in to different environments. And then that belief can start to impact on how you behave. So, you know, David Clark at the Institute of Psychiatry has done some fantastic work on youngsters who have social anxiety. And social anxiety basically means that when, when you feel anxious in a social situation, you have thoughts and images that you then carry into that environment. So you walk into the environment. If indeed you go to it, you may avoid it. But if you go, you think I'm weird, I'm different, I don't fit in. So you don't make eye contact, you stare at your feet, and then you leave early, which confirms your belief. So the, the tragedy about it is that we formulate these beliefs that then drive how we think, feel, and behave. The good news is that if you modify that, and, and there are very good techniques, and these are cognitive and behavioral techniques, and 
And uh, one of the things that David Clark uses a lot is imagery and re-scripting. And, and that has a hugely powerful impact. I think what's interesting is, and I remember thinking this as a child as well, you think that adults have it figured out. You think that adults have it sorted, that adults aren't nasty to each other, that they kind of know how to behave. But actually, Harnam's showing that she's got through this this adolescence, she's got through childhood adolescence, she's experienced meanness and cruelty and negative comments and criticism she's endured all that she's got to adult life where we're supposed to have things figured out and we're supposed to show kindness and compassion to each other but it's coming up against the same old thing and I think that this theme of bullying is really important to raise awareness of in adulthood as well because it does persist and it does have a really damaging legacy on adults as well and um, and she makes the great point that the people that do bully her you know she sort of says oh they just don't understand Mm -hmm. and she even shows compassion towards them and also how she learned to love her beard yeah like who she calls sun sundry sundry and i just thought that was amazing i mean we've all got parts of our body we do or don't like and i've never thought of naming one (laughs) and saying well if i don't love you no one else will you know i just thought that was amazing and quite creative also to Because it's a bit like having an imaginary friend Mm -hmm. or something. We know Sinead likes imaginary friends. Or two. Or three. (laughs) Or four, was it? Four. Um, So I just think in this context, it's interesting some of the strategies she employs. And I think that's just such a refreshing perspective on the situation. So I'm going to think about what parts myself I can can name. name. (laughs) I literally live by one rule, and that's my body, my rules. And I'm very feisty, so I had to say to myself, Hernan, when's the time going to come that you start living life for you? And, you know, I've built a very loving relationship with myself, but that came with me facing my fears, that came with me talking to my demons, that came with me sitting alone in my bedroom, crying my eyes out, hitting rock bottom over and over again, picking myself up and actually then realising what my purpose on this earth is and... I realised from a very young age that people's opinions will never make me happy and that I should make myself happy. And that if people don't love me, that's okay, my world's not going to end. But if I don't embrace and accept myself, that's when my world ends. And just by knowing that and living by that and actually realising how important it was for me to live life authentically, yeah, that's when I started delving into being an activist, helping people, using my past trauma... Um, you know, my story as a youngster from being bullied to now actually battling, you know, my bullies and being being a victim to now a victor. I think, yeah, I just want to add value to people's lives. I thought delving into the adult world would be a lot more mature. I thought that people would be a lot more accepting and you know, that I'd find it easy to sort of navigate life, living and working as an adult. And I realised that adults are actually just big babies without nappies. I mean, I like the fact that children can ask innocent questions and be very intrigued. But when it comes to adults, they can be very ignorant and arrogant and very nasty about certain things. And as soon as I sort of grew my beard out, I said to myself, well, you do realise that you know, you, you want to look like the niche in society, you want to look different, well, you better get used to being strong, having to stick up for yourself, having to be resilient, having to continuously explain yourself, which can be hard. 
But I realized I can't keep acting out of anger towards these people because these people just don't know. You know, it's not every day you get to sit in front of a bearded lady or talk to a bearded lady or just see one. So then I started working as an activist and I started teaching people and telling people and trying to educate. So I go to like schools, unis, colleges, primary schools, and I just talk to people, you know, get them used to my face because you're going to see it on TV. I actually didn't want Instagram at the start. My, it was one of my ex-friends and she was just like, oh, open an Instagram account. I was like, what's that? So, like, oh, you just put pictures up and people like them. I was like, oh, that that's a bit boring, isn't it? <laughs> but I started it and I just, I was just posting images for me. Like I was very into photography back then and it was only until 2014. That's when I went viral with one of my first ever interviews out that my Instagram just blew up. I was like, where are all these followers coming from? And people were like, I'm from the States and... You know, I'm from Russia and I'm from here. I'm just like, this is crazy to have little old me just like prodding away, you know, little old life. And all of a sudden my story has gone viral. I didn't even know what viral meant. You know, it was crazy. And I just got all these followers from different countries all connecting to my story. Um, I was mocked a lot as well, but that just comes with being in the public eye. And ever since then, like my following's growing. As my work evolves, I evolve. And the more I speak to people, the more my sort of heart and, you know, ideas about what I used to believe previously, you know, they've changed, you know. I would previously say things like, oh, you need to suppress your demons. Like, no, like, talk to your thoughts. First of all, people haven't built this relationship with themselves because it's hard to face your fears. It's hard to sit there and be on your own at night and talk to your demons. Why are these thoughts here? Why are these negative thoughts in my head? Who's embedded them? Who's put them there? What can I do to get them out? Like, do you even realise how powerful we are as individuals? I always prioritise my mental health and, you know, how I am feeling emotionally. I have to calculate everything from the moment that I wake up. How confident are you today? You know, what's your anxiety like? What's your headspace like? And depending on that, that's how I get dressed. And normally people don't actually have to calculate things like that. Like they just put on a top, you know, jacket, jeans, you know, boots or whatever. But for me, it's like, how confident are you today, Hernam, to wear makeup, a floral dress, sandals, have your manicure and pedicure out for people to actually identify you as a woman but to see a beard and then mock you like how confident are you if you're not you better go and change and sometimes I won't even go out and that's not because I'm scared because for me to look like this trust me I ain't scared of anything you know I'm not scared of anything but sometimes I do myself a favor and just say it's okay to stay home you know, it's okay for you to, you know, dig into like Ben and Jerry's at home on Netflix or whatever, doing things that make me happy. And I think I'm allowed to give myself that pleasure of just being me. Um, so, yeah, like I do just say, no, I'm going to stay at home today. I'm not going out. Or sometimes I'll be like, well, this world needs to see me because I'm fierce and beautiful and you better get used to my face. 
At the start of my career, I think a lot of the things that I was doing was appearance-based. Um, it was to do with, oh, you're a bearded lady. Let me interview you and talk to me about your life. Now the message goes a bit deeper because it's not about the physicality of me. It's more about what I have inside. And how have I come to a point of such sort of fearlessness and liberation and resilience in the face of a society that is that is so weak weak-minded you know how have I overcome all the horrendousness that I've gone through to now become so strong I would consider myself a resilient person but I would think there's other very strong words that I would sort of label myself with I would call myself brave I would call myself powerful strong liberated free I would say that I'm you know I live by standards that I set for myself I am of value I have worth and I will definitely say I am a lot stronger now than I was 10 years ago it's shocking for people to see someone that looks so different but it starts by learning you know so then I have to teach and I have to talk and I have to you know listen and I have to embrace their struggles as well and that's my job that's my purpose and that's my passion so as as much as it does take a toll on me it's the life that I've decided to live if I'm talking about that this life is so hard I can easily go to a nine-to-five job why don't I it's because this is my passion and I finally found the reason to why I'm on this earth it's to help people and I will be doing myself and this society a great injustice by not teaching people how they can add value to their own lives and make it flourish trust me this world will know me and I'm going to try and do my hardest to change people's perceptions of what it means to be different and I am not the only bearded lady that's here there are so many other women that can grow facial hair you know there's there's going to be a next generation a young girl that can grow facial hair that's going to say do you know what I've seen her arm and I if she can grow it and she can be featured in Teen Vogue well do you know what? I'm going to grow my beard out and I'm going to follow my dreams there's nothing stopping me if she can do it I can do it I mean yeah I have passions I have ambitions I have things that I want to achieve but the underlying thing of that is I'm going to do this now because I'm going to pave a way for the next bearded lady that's going to have issues with society and I think the more I put myself out there the more I live my life unashamedly and put my middle finger up to all these bastards that say to me that you need to hide yourself well I'm just putting confidence into the next little girl that's going to look like me So Harnam is a fierce lady. I love listening to that story. And I think she takes you on quite a journey there from what she described as victim to victor, which obviously wasn't 
an easy journey for her to go on. But one of the things that I'm really interested in that she talks about is how she monitors her mental health and well-being. And at Positive, we're really keen in helping people to understand how you can do this and do it proactively. So rather than being well or unwell, we think about our mental health as sitting on a continuum. And there's different factors that day to day will affect how we feel, how we think, how we behave. What I really liked about Hanam's story was talking about waking up in the morning and having a bit of a check-in with herself. So how do I feel today and how does that play out in my life? And the other thing I quite liked was her thinking about the thoughts that she has. So she normalizes the fact that we all do have these dark thoughts, we all have these negative thoughts, but in acknowledging that you can you can minimize their potency and see them as just thoughts, not who I am. That again is a really protective and helpful strategy. I think what's also very important about this is that she has bad days. This isn't a black and white phenomenon. You know, her mood fluctuates and she checks in on how she's feeling and how she's uh, going to take on the day. And I think that's true for all of us. I think the danger is we see resilience as a finite endpoint. We see it as black and white, something we can achieve. And then if we're not experiencing it, we can then start to think, well, I'm letting people down, I'm failing, I'm not good at this, I thought I got this cracked. I don't think you crack resilience. I think it's it's a variable variable. It fluctuates, it goes up and down, influenced by a whole legion of things. Uh, what we're eating, how much alcohol you had the day before, whether you had a nightmare, um, what, what your relationship is like during the day. I mean, there are multiple variables feeding in to a, a very complex organism that then ends up making you feel robust or vulnerable. Something else that came through was this concept that I, another Sanskrit word that Gandhi used called satya. Gandhi talked about holding on to your truth. And one of the things that really resonated for me was that what um, I think Hanama's done is got this sense of purpose, this sense of meaning, mm. this sense of, of, of a reason for being. Um, and I think Coming back to Nietzsche, you know, he or she who has a why to live can bear almost any how. And my goodness, is she bearing almost any how? Absolutely. And I think that idea of um, compassion and kindness to self really, really shines through. Her ability to say, do you know what, today's just not a great day and that's okay. And that sense of acceptance of the fact that we are all going to have bad days where we don't feel at our best, we don't perform at our best, but let's not beat ourselves up around that. I think that's incredibly powerful. But also, if you look at the the vocabulary that she uses, it's very empowering. It's very impactful. It's very positive. And I can see why if I was a young girl, a young boy listening to Hernam's story, I would start to think, well, yeah, actually, maybe I should challenge the way things are. Maybe I should feel comfortable in my own skin. And maybe that's okay. And it's weird, isn't it? Because this is literally just because she has one thing about her that's different. She's like, you can sometimes become detached from that in the story. You'd think she was, you know, fighting a war. But actually, she's just got a beard because of a medical condition. And she's female, so that's unusual. But what she's been exposed to is just unbelievable. I think that's a key message, actually, Elle. I think I think that this actually means that we should shine the torch on ourselves. Um, you know, these social norms, these cultural display rules, the way people ought, should, must behave. And if they obey the rules, they can stay in the group. But if they don't, if they look a bit different, uh, we then we then attack them. And 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 I think I, I think as a society, we really need to shine the torch on it because we are defaulted 
I think, unfortunately, as human beings to like people who are like us and dislike people who are not like us. And understanding that unconscious bias, is, I think, is key if we're going to start to treat each other better. In this episode, we explored the question, how do you find acceptance in the face of social exclusion? So what I'd like to do now is just to focus in on some of the key protective factors from Hernan's story which link to resilience. She demonstrates a very strong sense of authenticity. She has a very clear purpose and she has this lovely attitude and self-belief which she has built up over the years. So for me, the main takeaway from Hanam's story is this way that she is kind to herself, she's reflective, and uh, she has those conversations with her thoughts. And she uses this to be a strength, a way to improve how she feels. So I think taking that time to be reflective and having those insights into our own mental world is something we can all do a lot better. It says something very uncomfortable about human behavior, this concept of social conformity. Um, I think we can all understand why social conformity has worked uh, from an evolutionary point of view and the tribalism. I think one of the legacies of this particular evolutionary system is that we can be very intolerant, very critical, and very harsh to people who are not like us. And, and, and I think we need to be aware of that and we can then mitigate it. One of the key things of Hernam's story is a reminder to be yourself. I think we can all hold on to our own truth, be authentic to ourselves and find what our true passion and purpose is. If we can find these things, then we can weather the storm. We can deal with the negativity that comes our way. Yeah, and I think we should all remember that we're fierce and beautiful. In this podcast series, we've been exploring some very different stories of human perseverance and resilience. Hopefully, listening to these episodes, you can start to think, well, what are the strategies that might be helpful for me? A really key point to note is that it isn't binary. It is not that we have or do not have resilience. It is not that once we demonstrate resilience once, we'll always have it. It's something that ebbs and flows, something that varies in relation to the things that are happening in our lives. But I think it's something that is really important to keep at the forefront of our mind. What are the things that help us when times get tough? We're not necessarily ever gonna to get to a point where we feel we have resilience all sussed out. However, taking the time to know yourself and what works for you can be a really important first step on the road to resilience. The Resilient Road was brought to you by Positive Group and Radio Wolfgang. It was presented by me, Sinead Divine French, with Brian Marion and Elle Crush, and featured Harnam Kaur. It was produced by Holly Aquilina. The editors were Natalia Rodriguez and Eli Block. The sound designer was Ivor Manley and the executive producer was Harry Watson. For more information about Positive Group and the work that we do, visit www.positivegroup.org.